Welcome to Peace by Believing with John Remond, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. We probably all have a thought about Jesus' physical appearance. That idea was probably shaped by a painting we have seen in a Sunday school classroom, or a stained glass window, or maybe even by a movie we have seen. If you have your Bibles, won't you turn to Revelation chapter 1 as John continues his series on the book of Revelation with his message, A Clear Vision of Jesus and we will get to see Jesus through the eyes of the Apostle John as he is exiled on the island of Patmos. John saw Jesus in a way he had never seen him before. Now that's saying something, because Jesus, I mean, John was one of Jesus' disciples. He was in that inner circle. He had been with Jesus day and night for three years. He had seen Jesus perform miracles and do all kinds of things, but this vision is unlike anything he had ever seen. Verse 12, John said, Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. In other words, he's saying, in the, we'll get to these lampstands later. But he says, I saw Jesus Christ. And he begins to describe Jesus. And I'm not going to belabor this description. We could easily do a sermon for each of the descriptions that I'm about to give. But I want to mention eight things that John saw when he saw this vision of Jesus Christ. First of all, he saw Jesus Christ in his high priestly role. Look in the second part of verse 13. Clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. This garment that is being described here is the garment that was worn by the high priest. In fact, that Greek word garment, we find it in the Septuagint which is a Greek translation of the Old Testament. And the same Greek word is used there to describe the garment, the robe that the high priest would wear. And then it talks about this golden band across his chest. It further marks him as the high priest, or in Jesus' case, the great high priest. Now you say, what's the significance of a high priest? What did a high priest do back in Old Testament times? Well, a high priest was kind of the liaison between the sinful people and a holy God. On the Day of Atonement, the people would come to the high priest and they would bring their animals to sacrifice. And the the high priest would offer up that sacrifice to God. And when God saw that sacrifice being offered, he would cover over the people's sin until the next year. And then the next year, the people would come to the high priest. They would offer up their sacrifice. He would give that to God and the people's sins would be covered. And so the high priest was the bridge between man and God. This is why it says in the Bible that Jesus is the great high priest. He is the one who stands between us and God. And it's not just that he's offering up some sacrifice. Jesus Christ himself is our sacrifice. He became our sacrifice. And so here the first thing John sees is Jesus Christ in his high priestly role. He is our representative in heaven. Aren't you thankful That when we come to stand before a holy God, there is someone between us and holy God. And that someone is Jesus who has paid for our sins, who has washed them away. And he is the bridge between us and God. And that's what John saw first. The second thing John saw was the purity of Jesus. Look in verse number 14. 
His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And so even though John knew that Jesus was pure, and John knew that Jesus had never done anything wrong, he's seeing him in his full glorified uh, self, and he's seeing how perfect and pure Jesus is. And, and this is a thought that we all know this is true, but don't you just let this sit in on you today. Jesus Christ never sinned. Now, we know he never sinned, and we know we have sinned, but just think about that. You know, sometimes we get so familiar with Jesus in our own minds and so comfortable with Jesus that we almost just think Jesus is a bigger and better version of us. Let me tell you something. Jesus is completely different. from. I mean, yes, he came to the earth. He took on flesh and blood. But in his purity, Jesus Christ has never, ever sinned. And that's why when you and I are tempted to sin, there's the conviction of sin because God knows if we give in to that temptation, fellowship with him is going to be broken. He feels very uncomfortable around sin. And he's showing John his own purity. And then we see his penetrating eyes. Look at the rest of verse 14. His eyes like a flame of fire, like two laser beams. John's seeing this. And John's thinking, I've never seen Jesus like this before. When I saw him on earth, he, he had human eyes. But now I see that his eyes are like laser beams. They can see right through me. And you know in that moment, John felt exposed, and John felt revealed, and John thought, Jesus can see not only my actions, but the motives behind my actions. Jesus can see not only what I do, but what I think. He can hear not only what I say, but what I want to say. He can look into my heart and discern between the thoughts and intents of the heart. I read a paragraph by Adrian Rogers preparing for this sermon that I thought was so good, talking about the penetrating eyes of Jesus and how he sees through us. Here's what Pastor Roger said. Jesus knows that answer you stole off your classmate's test paper. He knows that impure thing you did when you were away from your wife and children. He knows the evil sentiment you have toward your neighbor. He knows the internet site you visit when no one is looking. And so Jesus knows everything about us. And John had never seen this vision of Jesus. He had never seen it like this before. And then he sees the judgment of Jesus in verse 14. It says, I'm sorry, in verse 15, His feet were like fine brass as if refined in a furnace. Brass in the Old Testament is an image of judgment because it was the altar was made out of brass. And that's where the judgment for sin, that's where the sacrifice was made. And so he's seeing now that Jesus is the judge. Now for those three years that he was on the earth with Jesus, what was he seeing? He was seeing Jesus as the healer. Jesus is the forgiver. Jesus is the compassionate one. Jesus is the servant. He's there washing the disciples' feet in the upper room. On those three years that they were together on earth, John saw Jesus in his humility. But now he's seeing another side of Jesus. Yes, Jesus is still humble. But now he's seeing Jesus in his deification, in his glory, in his exaltation. And he's seeing this Jesus Christ who freely forgave everyone's sin who requested it. One day will judge those who have refused his death on the cross. He's seeing a completely different side of Jesus. And then he sees the authority that Jesus Christ has. The end of verse 15. And his voice as the sound of many waters. We know that water, and we've seen it this weekend in Louisiana as we watched our news, that when water comes in like that, that water has power. 
And that water has authority. And that water can take houses down and structures down. And he's comparing the voice of Jesus to the sound of many waters. And what he's saying is, when Jesus speaks... Nobody challenges that. Sometimes you'll hear somebody say, well, when I stand before God one day, I'm going to tell God a thing or two. Let me tell you something, friend. When you stand before God, you're not going to say anything. Jesus does all the talking, and Jesus gets the last word. It says in Romans chapter 3 that every mouth will be stopped. And so when Jesus speaks, John's not saying anything here. He's having this view of Jesus, but he's not questioning anything. Jesus is revealing himself. Remember, the first of this verse says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The greatest thing about this book is not that it tells us about events that will one day happen. It reveals to us the person who will be at the center of those events, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have here a picture of Jesus' authority. And then we have his vengeance. You see, Jesus had never expressed his vengeance when he was on the earth. In fact, John had asked Jesus. They went into a Samaritan village one day, and the people were disrespectful of Jesus. They didn't accept him as the Messiah and as the Savior of the world. And John said to Jesus, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and zap all these people? And Jesus basically said to John, no, no, no. I don't want to do that at all. I want to give these people a chance to get right. But now John's seeing the other side of Jesus. Now he's seeing that there is vengeance and that God will, God will one day punish and judge all those who have persecuted him, who have persecuted his church, and who have persecuted his people. Look at the second phrase in verse 16. Out of his mouth went a sharp, two-edged sword. Now we'll read about that again when we get to the Battle of Armageddon in chapter 19. How when Jesus leaves heaven and comes back to the earth on his white horse and we'll be following him on our white horses, out of his mouth, the Bible says, will come a sharp two-edged sword. What's going to happen with that sword? He's going to defeat the Antichrist. He's going to defeat all those who follow the Antichrist. And Jesus will ultimately take vengeance on those who have persecuted him and who have persecuted his followers. Let me give you a scripture verse to write down. I read this last night. It's a sobering verse. It's a serious verse. Deuteronomy 32 and verse number 35. Vengeance is mine and recompense. Now God is speaking. Listen to what else he says. Their foot shall slip. In due time. Whose feet is he talking about? He's talking about the feet of those who have nothing to do with God. The feet of those who laugh at the name of Jesus. The feet of those who try to destroy the work of God, to destroy the church, to malign the people of God. God said, don't worry about that. Don't take matters into your own hands. You just keep doing what you've always done. You just stay faithful. That enemy that has risen up against you, that person who's trying to do you in. God said, if they don't repent, vengeance is mine and recompense. Their foot shall slip in due time. For the day of their calamity is at hand and the things to come hasten upon them. Vengeance, all through the scripture, vengeance is mine. It's not for us to try to settle the score. For one thing, if we tried to settle it, we wouldn't settle it right because we don't know the whole truth about everything. God knows everything, and one day he will take vengeance, and he will settle the score. And so that is a, that's a, a very strong word there. And then we see the brightness of Jesus at the end of verse 16. And his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. When John saw Jesus, he saw this, this brightness, this, this glow about him. And I'm reminded that in heaven there won't be any sun. 
Because the Scripture says that the Lamb is the Son. The Lamb will give light. And so Jesus has this brightness, this purity. And John, with the exception of the experience on the Mount of Transfiguration, John had never seen this part of Jesus. Now, let's notice how John responded to that in verse 17. He said, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. And so when John saw Jesus in all of his glory, he didn't ask a question. He didn't have a conversation. He didn't go on with life as usual. What did he do? He fell at his feet as though he were a dead man. And down in that posture, he began to worship God. And Jesus said, don't be afraid, John. It's, 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 it's me. It's, I, it's the, I'm the one who's been with you all along. I'm just showing you a part of me that you've never seen before. So many times we get familiar with Jesus. John MacArthur is a well-known pastor in Southern California, great Bible scholar and theologian. In fact, if you were ever, if you were ever going to only buy one study Bible, I would recommend the MacArthur Study Bible. It has over 20,000 footnotes, and it's just the most complete, comprehensive study Bible that I've ever seen in my life. He is a godly pastor and a wonderful Christian man. And he said that one day a man came up to him and said, Pastor MacArthur, he said, Jesus and I are very close. And MacArthur said, well, now that's a good thing. We're supposed to all be close to Jesus. He said, oh, no, you don't understand. He said, Jesus and I are unusually close. And he began to brag about his own intimacy with Jesus. And he said, Pastor, he said, sometime I'll be in the bathroom in the morning and I'll be shaving. And Jesus just comes in my bathroom with me. And MacArthur said, you mean he comes in like in, in his bodily form? He said, Jesus, just, he, just, he just walks right in the bathroom with me. And MacArthur said, well, what does Jesus do when he gets in the bathroom? He said, well, he just puts his hand on my shoulder, and, and he just talks to me while I'm shaving. And he said, well, now, what do you do when Jesus is in the bathroom with you with his hand on your shoulder? He said, oh, I just keep on shaving. MacArthur said, then that's not Jesus in the bathroom with you. Because if Jesus were in the bathroom with you, you wouldn't just keep on shaving. You would get down on your knees and worship him. And that's what Jesus is revealing himself to John to say. He's saying, John, I'm the same Jesus you've always known, but there's more to me than you have experienced. And when you begin to see me for who I fully am, you won't just keep on shaving. You won't just keep on talking. You won't just keep on writing. You won't just keep on going through the motions. You will fall down and you will worship me. Now, as wonderful as all that is, something else here that is very important to me, and maybe what I'm about to mention, kind of takes everything we've looked at there and just puts it all together in a summary statement. Because the eighth thing we see here with Jesus is his presence and his protective care. Now let's go back in verse 13. We read earlier about these seven lampstands. What is this? In fact, at the end of verse 12, John said, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. So whatever these lampstands are, Jesus is in the middle of them. And then in verse 16, Jesus had in his right hand seven stars. Okay, so in his hand, he's holding seven stars, and he's walking in the midst 
of these seven lampstands. But we're still not sure what this means. Look in verse 20. Jesus explains the mystery. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in your right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. That word angels in Greek could literally be, it it can be translated angels, but it can also be translated messengers. And most theologians say that's the idea here because angels don't lead churches. Angels protect churches, but God sends messengers, God sends pastors to lead churches. And so if you study this, most scholars are going to say this angels or messengers, this is a reference to the pastors of these seven churches in each one of these cities. And the point John is making is that Jesus Christ holds the pastor in the palm of his hand. And we know that's true. In every church, there's one pastor. There are many leaders, and and all of us love God and are trying to do our part, but there's one pastor who God sends to leave that church, lead that church, and the Scripture says that that pastor is in God's hand. Now, you may be thinking, well, good for the pastor, but I'm not a pastor. And uh, so does that mean I'm not in God's hands? No, not at all. It just means that the pastor is in God's hands in a special way because he's trying to lead the church. But he's not the only person in God's hands. Write this down. In John chapter, 20, in John chapter 10, rather, verses 27 through 30, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Jesus said all of his sheep are in his hand, not just the pastor. The pastor in a, in a, is also included in that, but all of God's children are in God's hand. And in verse 29, Jesus said, My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. And so the message when we take all of Scripture and put it together is, if you are saved, you are in the very hand of Jesus Christ. And not only that, he says these lampstands, uh, let's read on and the, in verse 20, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So these lampstands are a picture, an emblem of the churches. Here's the picture. Jesus is in the midst of his church. He's in the midst of his people. At all these different locations, there's one thing in common. Jesus Christ is there. Whoever's preaching at Julio's church today in Guadalajara, I don't know who that person is, but that person could stand up before that congregation and with absolute certainty say, today as we have gathered here in Guadalajara, Mexico, to lift up our voices to God, to study His Word together, I can assure you on the authority of God's Word, Jesus Christ is in our midst. My brother today in Boston could say the same thing to those Haitians gathered there. And I can stand here in Pasadena and say, we have a promise from God that today at the First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas, Jesus Christ is in our midst. He's walking up and down these aisles in His Spirit. He's moving in and out these pews by His convicting Holy Spirit. And He's speaking to people's hearts, some who need to be saved. He's saying, today is your day. Others who need to be drawn closer to Him, He's saying, now is the time. Jesus Christ today is in our midst. Wouldn't it be great if we believed that, first of all, it would be a good thing. And if we went out of here and bumped into somebody at a restaurant or saw somebody this week, how was church on Sunday? Man, it was good. You'll never believe who was there. Oh, did you have a guest speaker? Did you have a guest singer? Better than that, Jesus Christ came to our service on Sunday morning. 
And he was there in power, convicting power, authoritative power, judging power, high priestly power, penetratingly seeing us with his eyes. Jesus Christ was in our midst in a very special way. He's in our midst. And not only that, I learned on Sunday that I'm in his hand. Now I want to show you one other verse. You still listen? Say amen. Isaiah chapter 40. This is a tremendous verse, and I came across it last night. And I said, I've got to get this in my sermon. Isaiah chapter 40, and in verse number 12. And this is a rhetorical question that is being uh, asked here. And it says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Measured heaven with a span? Let's just stop right there. A span. What is a span? Well, for me, a span would be around six to nine inches. It's the distance from the end of my thumb to the end of my pinky. That's a span. And so with, my, with the span of my hand, I can almost cover that book. Not quite, but I can almost cover that book. Now let's talk about how big God's hand is. Notice what it says. With, what did he do with his hand? He measured heaven with a span. In other words, God took his hand, and from the end of his thumb to the end of his small finger there, he's just able to measure out the heavens. says to me, God has a mighty big hand. But not only that, the first of that verse says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. What is the hollow of a person's hand? The hollow of your hand is the palm of your hand. When I make that, it'd be kind of like a cup. And I put that in. I can put uh, something. I could put a few ounces of water maybe in my hand, and, and then the water's going to start coming out. But it says here that God, not a few ounces, he's measured, he, the, the waters of all the seas are in the hollow of his hand. He's measured it out. 70% of the earth's population, or not population, 70% of the earth's surface, rather, is water. And it's all in God's hand. I was reading the other night just about the Pacific Ocean. And this not counting the Atlantic and all the other oceans, just the Pacific Ocean. To talk about the enormity of the size here. 64 million square miles. With an average depth of 14,000 feet. The Pacific Ocean is so big... You could put all seven continents in the Pacific Ocean and still have room for another Asia. And it says that God, talk about how big God is, that God is able to take all the Pacific Ocean, all the continents of the earth, all the Atlantic Ocean, everything, all the galaxies, and God can do what with it? God can put it in the palm of His hand, in the hollow of His hand. And so when we read that we, as the children of God, are in the hands of Jesus, friend, I'm saying to you today, we're in good hands. We're in strong hands. Now, what is God saying to us today? God is saying several things in this message today. God is saying, if your life is taking an unexpected turn, stay in the Spirit. Keep doing what you've always done. And if you'll do that, God says, you're going to hear my voice. I'm going to give you words of comfort. I'm going to give you words of instruction. You're going to experience me in ways you've never experienced me before. If you'll stay in the Spirit. And if you'll keep doing what you've always done. God is also saying to us today, when you go from this place, remember, I've been in your midst during this hour. When you go from here, I'm still in your midst because the church is not a building. The church is a people. It's not that this brick and mortar is the lampstand. Friend, you and I are the lampstand. And when we go home today, God goes home with us. And not only does He go home with us, He has us in the palm of His hand. 
And that says to me, whatever we're facing in life, whatever problems we have, whatever challenges we face, whatever setbacks we encounter, it's all in God's hands. And God is bigger than anything we'll ever face. And God is plenty strong to see us through whatever obstacle ever comes our way. We hope that today's message, A Clear Vision of Jesus, has been an encouragement to you. You can find this message along with many others on our website, www.peacebybelieving.org under the broadcast tab. As John was saying at the conclusion of his message, it is always comforting to know that we are in God's hands, no matter what trial or obstacle we are facing. If you are going through a difficult time right now, John has written a booklet entitled Riding Out the Storms of Life that will be very helpful to you in the middle of any storm that you may be facing. We would love to send you a free copy. Just send us an email to info at peacebybelieving.org and request it by name, Riding Out the Storms of Life. You can also download it on our website or read it online. It can be found under the booklets tab on peacebybelieving.org. We also invite you to like Peace by Believing Ministries on Facebook and to follow at PBB underscore broadcast on Twitter. We are so glad that you chose to spend some time with us today. And we look forward to you joining us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond.